It's good to be with you again and to share with you in uh, this service and to have the privilege of uh, opening God's word to you, resting on the Holy Spirit to speak. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your Holy Spirit inspired it all that be written. We pray that he may now take that word and write it deeply into our hearts and minds so as to engender true faith in Jesus and a seeking of his glory in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are old enough to have uh, been to Sunday school as a child. Uh, others of you may be involved, like in uh, Ripples, I assume it might happen there, or in kids' a church or in track and one of the things that happens in those uh, scenarios is you learnt verses, you had a verse to learn. When I went to Sunday school yesterday the, uh, the, the teacher gave us a verse and we were to learn it and to recite it next week and we got a little stamp in our book and we hoped that the book would fill up quickly to get a little prize of a text or something. That was what was happening. Um, do you still learn verses today? Well, at any rate, I want you to learn one tonight. It's uh, only five words. That's not too big a task, is it? It's only five words. And um, whoever's leading next week can check and see if you remember it. The five words are, underneath are the everlasting arms. That's quite simple, isn't it? Underneath are the everlasting arms. Repeat it after me. Underneath are the everlasting arms. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 33, which was read earlier, verse 27. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Now what is the context of that uh, verse, or those words being said? As it was read to us, as he read to us, uh, it was Moses' final address to the nation of Israel. He was about to die. He wasn't going to go over into the Promised Land, but the nation of Israel, under Joshua's leadership, was across the Jordan River and to enter the Promised Land. Here was Israel amassed on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. And so Joshua, uh, Moses rather, has been called by God to give a final address to the nation. Uh, chapter 33, uh, he tells us that, and then he goes into a general sort of blessing. Then he takes each of the 12 tribes by name, the 12 of them, and gives them a particular blessing, and then he comes around to a general blessing again at the end. And God loved his people and desired the very best for them. It says uh, that he loved them uh, in verse 3. Surely it is you who love the people. God loved the nation of Israel. Again in another verse, verses 4 and 5. God had faithfully taught the people his word, his ways, how to worship and how to live so as to please him and to be a glory to uh, those around them, to be a means by which they might know God. And God had faithfully led them and he had faithfully taught them. I'll just read some of those words again from those end verses that uh, Ian read to us. 
There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, the God of Israel, who rides on the heavens to help you in, on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He'll drive out your enemies before you. So Israel will live in safety alone. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. This is a very strong blessing that Israel heard from the lips of Moses, God's servant. But we need to say, who are Israel? Uh, what was their background? What had happened up to this point? And of course we go back to the fact that they were chosen to be God's people when Abraham was called, one man. Abraham was called and God gave a covenant pledge that they would be his particular people. And Abraham believed in God and loved God and faithfully followed God. And then there was Isaac and then there was Jacob, who was also known as Israel, and they received the covenant and the promises just like their forefather Abraham. Then there were the 12 sons of Jacob and then we hear of them going to Egypt and becoming slaves there. They were not slaves at the beginning. I was preparing this, I said, oh, I've forgotten how long Israel were in Egypt. How long was it? Was it 230 years or 400, uh, 320 years? Wrong. It was 430 years. They had been in Egypt for that long. And at the end of that time, in the latter half of it, they'd become slaves because of a change of pharaohs. And they were slaves, treated badly in the land of Egypt for that period of time. And so Israel were these slaves and uh, they would have been, sort of, we don't hear much about them, but they would have been murmuring against God saying, why are we suffering like this? Why are we slaves? What happened to the promises that God made to Abraham? What's happened to us? Why are we supposed to be God's people? Of course, there would have been some who uh, hung on to God and believed in God and uh, believed that he was leading them, but others would have doubted and turned against God. And then they were rescued, of course, in the time of Moses. We have the ten great plagues and they were led out in a victorious way. Uh, God delivered them from Pharaoh. Uh, he led them through the Red Sea and once over the Red Sea safely, uh, the people work their way towards the promised land. Ah, the promised land. We'll enjoy that forever. The promised land, the trouble was that the people got to the edge of the promised land and didn't go in. They were scared. They sent 12 tribes to investigate it. Two gave a glorious report, but 10 didn't. 10 said it was, oh, the enemy are too strong. We'll, 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 we'll better wait until they get weaker. We'll wait here. And then God said, for your disobedience, lack of faith, you can wander in the desert for 40 years. The 40 years were over. And now Moses and all Israel stood on the eastern side of the Jordan, waiting to cross into the promised land. Moses himself was not to go. He was to die on the east side and it was up to Joshua to lead the people in and so 
As we read the Old Testament in those 40 years of wandering, we see that Israel largely was unfaithful. They didn't believe in God. There was, of course, a remnant, an element, which kept on faith, but the majority turned against God or did not believe in God or complained against God. And so they waited, waited at the land. But they were all honest and, uh, in wanting and desiring this promised land. That'll be beautiful. But they weren't too keen on the matter of their personal relationship with God. And then after that time, of course, God led through Joshua, Israel into the promised land, all of them. And things were good in a way. If you read Judges, you'll see that there were yeses and noes, pluses and minuses in terms of their faith. They weren't perfect by any means. You come to Samuel and then to the kings, Saul, and then David and Solomon. They probably reached a pinnacle in the time of David and Solomon, the beginning of Solomon's reign. And then after Solomon, it was downhill all the way as you read the Old Testament. This is supposed to be God's nation, God's people. They have been wonderfully delivered from Egypt. They've been brought to a promised land. God will be with them and richly bless them. But because of their lack of faith, they didn't enjoy those things. And there was fighting and bitterness. And the worst thing was that they turned away from God. But there was this remnant, this small minority that God kept going went through the whole of the Old Testament and came to the New Testament. And you bump into people like uh, Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth and Zacharias and John the Baptist and others who were believers in God and prepared for the Messiah's coming. So God's promise to them was true though. He would be with them and though he would be nurturing them in the sense that they would be under his uh, control in the everlasting arms of God they would be blessed underneath are his everlasting arms well you might say well that's nice that's a bit of uh, Old Testament history uh, what's it got to do with us what has it got to do with us as Christians today and I want to tell you that Underneath are the everlasting arms of God for you and for me. It's a personal message. It wasn't the only time that God gave promises like that. In another part of the Old, of the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, it uh, said that uh, he not only chose them and blessed them, but it says he carried them as a father carries his son. One of the nice things you see is men carrying their sons on the shoulders or otherwise and you say that's a great picture a man carrying his son well, God was carrying his nation in love in Exodus 19 it says he carried them as an eagle on, a, on its wings he bore them along step by step again the majority were sort of in uh, not interested or they were sort of concentrating on their own efforts and not on God. But that was what God was doing to his faithful nation, bringing his, uh, his remnant of people, the small minority, along with him to the salvation, to the promised land he gave them. Another part in Exodus, in Deuteronomy 31, it says, The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. 
He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so he kept on saying to the people, trust me, trust me, trust me, I will look after you. But the people were swallowed up in sin and forgetfulness of God and uh, turned away from him. But there was this faithful remnant. What's it got to do with us today as Christians? What background have we got? They look back on the great redemption from Egypt, great salvation there exercised by Moses' leadership. We have Jesus. He died on the cross for you and for me. The God, the Son, came into the world and he believed on, Jesus, on his Father, committed himself to the Father's plan and purpose, and he carried your sin and mine. And he took the full weight of God's judgment on our sins and brought us through. Does God care for us? We look at the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. And God gives us new and eternal life. He gives you a life which will never end in his presence. Does God care for you? Not only does he bring us through that, but also he has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee that we belong to him, as a seal of the fact that we are his children and he lives within us by his spirit. Does he care for you? And so God calls us to remember our background, what God has done for us. Jesus also ascended into glory and he said specifically, I go to prepare a place for you. Does God care for you? He died for you, he rose again for you, he gave you the Holy Spirit and he has gone to glory to prepare a place for you personally. And so we read in parts of the New Testament, in John 18 it says, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without belonging to a parent. It says that he will make his home with us. He and the Father makes his home with us. Does God care for his people? Such a close relationship, such wonderful promises. Jesus, at the, uh, after his resurrection and before he went to heaven, said, I am with you to the close of the age. In other words, he'll never leave us. He talks about the close of the age being the time, of course, when he comes again. And so Jesus is with us always. God has blessed us with eternal life and he does not leave us but is with us always. Jesus nursed those little children, that little reading we had in from Mark's Gospel. And just that's a figure for us of the fact that Jesus cares for us. He, as it were, nurses us or carries us along. And in this world, we will meet various struggles and strife. We might ask the question when we go through times of trouble, where is God? Why hasn't he handled this properly? Why has he allowed me to suffer? Why have I got to go through this? We have times of sickness, whether it could be a chronic sickness or a sudden sickness. It could be a serious sickness or illness. We have, of course, uh, death itself. Um, 
when you get older, you approach the idea of death a bit more, it's more common in your mind. And so we might say, well, how will I die? Um, what will it be like? Will I end up in a nursing home? Or will he take me to glory in my sleep? But that's our desire. But you see, God cares for us. And some of us will go through trouble and strife at the end of days of our life. But God doesn't leave us, never leaves us. We go through bereavement. Our parents die, brothers and sisters die, our life partner may die, and so on. And we go through those terrible times. Does that mean that God doesn't care for us? He is with us always, even to the close of the age. We go through broken relationships. You might have a, a friend who was once a friend but no longer a friend. You have partnerships which break up, which are very sad indeed. We go through a lot of strife and tension. We could go, be in, uh, involved in a drought and lose our, um, back, uh, our understanding, our, our, our finances and our, what we've uh, saved up and, and created. We, um, have, uh, we may be involved in persecution. Uh, many Christians in this world suffer persecutions a lot more than we do. And we might wonder where God's love is. But he is with us. We know that passage in, uh, Roman, in Romans chapter 8, which we often read in church, is probably what, the most popular part of the Bible in regards to how, what people read. And we read in Romans 8, I'll just read section to you. He says in verse 8, uh, of chapter 8 rather, and verse, I'm just trying to find it, 28. He says, We know that in all things God works for good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we, are, we face death all day long. We are considered a, sheep, considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for Christians today, as it was for the people in Moses' time, underneath are the everlasting arms. God never leaves us, he always supports us. We read in Isaiah 46, Listen to me, all my people, you whom I have cared for since you were conceived and have carried you since your birth. Even to your old age and grey hairs I am he. I am he who will sustain you and will rescue you, and to whom will you compare me? So you have been under the watchful eye of God since your conception. You have been under God's care and promises ever since you were born. And if you are in old age like I am and have grey hairs, you will still belong to him and you will still belong to him when you reach that stage of life. Who can we compare what God has done? And so we've seen Israel and the promises to it, and we've seen the Christians today and the promises of God that are the same 
underneath are the everlasting arms. And we might say, well, what is our response to that? Now, how often am I aware, or are you aware, of God's love, of God's promises, of God's security? How often are we aware of that? There's so much happening in life which sort of takes our minds away. But it's good for us to discipline ourselves so that we might remember what God has done. We're going to have the communion service this evening and uh, the main point of, uh, the main emphasis is do this in remembrance of me. It is not good enough for us to remember Jesus once a week on Sundays. Our lives will be shallow and we will not have the blessing of uh, God's joy or peace if we do that. We need to read the word of God. God wants to speak to us and talk to us each day and encourage us and assure us of his love and his faith that underneath are the everlasting arms, come what may in life, he is with us still and he cares for us. Not only are we to enjoy God's word and be reminded through God's word, but we are to spend time with God in prayer. Again, it's not good enough to pray just on Sundays when we come to church. We are to give time to God in prayer through the week that we might have fellowship with him and he will encourage us and we will remember that he loves us and cares for us and that his everlasting arms are around us. We have, of course, uh, the church. Again, we have opportunity to meet together on Sundays, but is that all? We can meet with Christians during the week in the small groups we have or in other ways so that we might encourage one another to remember God's love for us. The um, meeting once a week is only the beginning. We must constantly renew our faith and trust in Jesus, our awareness of what he has done and what he is doing, that he is with us and, and underneath of the everlasting arms. I think of the um, uh, footprints new um, item. You've all got a copy probably of, of that in your Bibles or somewhere where a person is supposedly walking along a beach and hand in hand with Jesus and suddenly he notices that there's only one set of footprints and um, he says, oh, why is there only one set of footprints? Why did you leave me? And that's probably when life's been hardest. And Jesus in this leaflet says, well, that is when I carried you. Well, that is true, but it's only half the truth because God carries us through the good times as well as the hard times. He is with us. There's only one set of footprints in our life, and that is God carrying us through. The other thing we want to say is that when you see children uh, being picked up by mothers or fathers, they're usually there for a while, but then they might catch sight of something and they actually struggle and fidget and want to get down and play with that thing or do that thing or see this thing or eat that. And, uh, but they come back to God. All through Israel's history, God appealed to his people to come back to him. We have the parable of the prodigal son where the son and the father was yearning for the son to come home and eventually he did. God is always there for us. He doesn't want anyone to stray. His everlasting love is with us. Everlasting arms 
are under us. He cares for us. I trust that you will remember that and that it will help you through the difficulties of life. He calls us to remember Jesus and to remember his love and to build our faith and our life on that love. He calls us to live for his glory and to serve him day by day, remembering what he has done for us. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that underneath are the everlasting arms. You love us with a love which cannot be measured. You are with us fully and you desire what is best for us. Help us to celebrate and to remember your love for us and that you never leave us or forsake us. May that be the, the sense of, uh, of building and base and foundation uh, for a life, Christian life of following Jesus day by day. May we celebrate your goodness and love to us. May we always remember that underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen.